are listening to Mommying While Muslim podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post 9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim. This is Uzma Jafri. And this is Zeba Hassan. How are you guys this week? I am good. Tell us how the beach is, Zeba. Oh my God, I have to say I am, you know, I hate the sand. Everybody knows that. <laughs> However, it's been great exfoliation because quite frankly, you can never get the sand actually off of you <laughs> despite repeated, you know, showers and jumping in the pool. Uh, we don't have a pool. We have a little hot tub here, um, which by the way, makes me nauseous. I don't know if that's normal, but I did it once oh, never happen. doing that again. Um, mm. it's, I think it's too hot for me, but I, mm. I'm really enjoying the family time because like the big said, this is a boring vacation. That means that I did my job well, because the whole point is us staying together and relaxing and recharging. I've been waking up, you know, Bef- like before Fudger, praying Fudger, and then watching the sunset in the absolute quiet solitude. So I am totally rubbing it in a little bit. But <laughs> I have to say, this is exactly what I needed before the crazy starts next week. But like, what about yeah, you? I absolutely. know you have crazy going on at your house right now with the closets coming in. Do you want to like, Tell me how that's going because you were like hauling that stuff upstairs um, big time last time. Yeah, that was the kids' closets, right? So the master closet is being done today. And I'm really excited because, again, I've been recycling my clothes for so long. I don't know if I can ever wear real clothes again, but I'm excited to have access to them for the first time in like six months. So, you know, I'm I'm really, really happy. So if you hear any like hammering and banging, that's what's going on upstairs right now. Oh my gosh. And so when you're done, you're going to end up hanging up all your clothes. And are you going to share pictures with everybody? Because this has been like this ongoing drama (laughs) dilemma, but I'm so glad that it's finally coming to an end for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, you're like, for me, my room or my closet looks like my brain. And I think I don't have like mental peace because all of this is not where it's supposed to be. And I've been trying to figure out like what's wrong and it's because things aren't in the general vicinity even of where they should be right now so I'm just I'm looking forward to that kind of organization I need you here I know I wish I was just telling Zephyr the other day because I really do enjoy even I'm staying at this Airbnb and quite frankly I reorganized their kitchen they're probably gonna (laughs) think I'm crazy but things do not go where they're supposed to. Like who puts the like, cooking utensils like on the other side of the stove? I'm like, that makes no sense. So they're going to end up getting this house <laughs> cleaner than when we got it because that's just how yeah. I enjoy spending my time reading and that's cleaning and doing laundry and, you know, vacuuming up the sand. Like it's this never ending, like, story. I I just love it. But I know we have a soapbox for today because we always do. And I love hearing it from you, Ozma. So you want to tell us what our soapbox for today is? 
Yeah, our soapbox is not a big deal and it's not a super political situation. I just kind of wanted to throw back to um, yesterday's live stream that we did with my sister, single momming under duress, because we talked about lazy parenting and I didn't want people to get the wrong idea that um, in the past, <laughs> You're like, we have been chided for saying, oh, <laughs> getting kids to do chores is slave labor and that's not okay. No, you know, that's not what we're doing, what we're saying is it's okay to say no sometimes to the kids and mm -hmm. give them the gift of independent work. Like you can do hard things. Now, has that turned into a bloody mess before? Yes, because I gave my little guy a butter knife because he wants cheese and crackers for his nightly snack. And I was like, okay, I think you can do this now. You're five and a half. Here's a butter knife. But that's where I went wrong because I should have given him a roll knife because, you know, he had to apply some extra special force and a finger was injured in the process. But he knows now, you know, how to cut the cheese, <laughs> the, the real cheese, yes, not the literally. So, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes it ends up messy, you know, and sometimes it ends up dangerous. You're just kind of gauging your children's abilities to do for themselves. And I think that that's okay. I think even pre-pandemic, I felt completely comfortable when my little guy came to me and said, Ami, I want to play. And it didn't matter what I was doing. What I was doing at the time was important to me, even though to somebody else it would be, why are you just lying in bed like a lazy mother, like an uninvolved, neglectful mother? That's not neglectful if I'm taking care of my needs and telling my child, no, I won't play with you. And when he asked why, it was simply because I don't want to. I love you, but I don't want to play with you. I gave you siblings for that. So go play with them. Exactly. And I... That's I so think funny. moms need to feel more comfortable doing that, even if it's an only child, to say, my job is not to entertain you. I am not, you know, the Ringling Brothers Circus here to entertain you. And I think that moms who don't um, set those boundaries, that's why there may be a lot of burnout during this pandemic with mm -hmm. the schooling, with the, you know, working from home, with the continuing to do the chores, feeding them 24-7. Um, it's okay to say no to the kids when I want a snack. Okay, yes. help yourself. Or I don't want this dinner. Okay, figure out what you're going to eat then. And to be completely guilt-free of it because you're not yeah. shirking your Islamic duties. You're not shirking your mommy duties. You did your job. You're just asking your kids to meet you halfway. And I think that if more of us learn to do that in all of our relationships, especially with our children too, um, we would be a lot happier doing the jobs that we do as mothers. And that's my soapbox for today. No, I, t I totally agree with that. And, you know, just to add on to that, you know, so maybe I'm a lazy parent after all. Um, again, when we say those types of terms, it's kind of like, but what does that mean exactly? Because I do mm -hmm. think giving them the gift of self um, autonomy and self-reliance allows them the opportunity for growth later on. And, and quite frankly, you know, when when I had my older two, I had more time to do those extra things. But I think when you start adding more kids to the mix, it becomes a little bit harder to, to be able to sustain that. And quite frankly, if they, you know, don't like what you eat and they have a bowl of cereal, they're going to be fine. It's okay. They won't die. And I think we maybe need to change the term from instead of calling it lazy parenting, as my sister and I did yesterday, maybe we can call it empowering parenting. Like empowering to moms mm -hmm. and empowering to their kids. Empowerment parenting. I agree. We just, we just made a term. We just made a term. And guess what? We can say no to our children and yes. they will survive. They will be just fine. Perfect. 
Um, and so on that leg, we're continuing with single motherhood because it's, you know, such a large phenomenon in the United States, but also in the Muslim community worldwide, not just the Muslim American community here. Um, so we decided that, hey, let's just do a double header this week and invite a guest on who has some experience on that. And on that leg, we have Horanissa Faryad joining us of the Sister Act podcast. She is one of, I believe, three co-hosts on there, and they talk all things interfaith. So she decided to grace us today and talk to us about her experiences with single motherhood. So thank you so much for joining us, Hernissa. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you and Zeba. Usually what we start about, start with is your mom's story. So tell us a little bit about your kids, how old they are, and your momming philosophy. Okay, so I have four daughters. Um, my eldest is 20, then uh, 18 and a half, and then almost 14 and almost 12. So I have a oh, whole house full of girls. They're with me 24-7. They don't see their dad. They haven't seen him in about six years come oh, wow. uh, Halloween, actually. And so I've been raising them myself for the past uh, almost uh, over six years. And so it's it's been it's been a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride. Yeah. yeah. So the whole pandemic thing really hasn't changed anything <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, yeah, no, not everyone's home, right? Like all the time. Right. Uh, I work from mm -hmm. home and they're doing their schoolwork from home. So it's kind of like everyone's in each other's face. But my eldest actually went back to VCU. Uh, she's actually in the okay. arts program. She's in her third year in college. And so Mashallah. she, um, yeah, alhamdulillah. So she went back and I told her it's okay. Go, inshallah, you know, just be, you know, safe and take care of yourself and be mindful of what's right. going on around you. You don't need to be going to anyone's parties or anything like that. She's smart about that. So alhamdulillah. Oh, mashallah, you know, good. If you, if you have, you've done half of it. You have another two years to go and then you'll get your art degree and inshallah, get your life on track as, as an adult. And, and that's what our job is, right? Just to raise them with skills that they can actually become resilient, um, not just in their faith, but also uh, in the world. They need to be able to function as human beings. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, since we're talking about the evolution of the Muslim family this month and closing up with you, tell us how your family dynamic changed and what your Muslim American family looked like before and how it looks now. How has that dynamic changed for you? Yeah, it's changed a lot. And I think that anyone who's a single mom listening to this can, you know, attest to this, that it's a, you know, your life literally turns upside down uh, in a matter of, you know, days or sometimes minutes. So I got married when I was 20. I was extremely young. My then husband was um, almost 11 years older than me. Um, and he was established, you know, he went to law school, he had a CPA. You know, I was born in Afghanistan. He's Pakistani. And so, you know, for my dad, it didn't matter where he was from as long as he was Muslim. So the fact that he was established in that area was was a plus for him. I didn't really get to know him that much. I didn't go out with him. I didn't see him outside of just the phone calls and him coming to my dad's house to, you know, ask for my hand for like six months <laughs> until he actually convinced my dad. And so mm -hmm. then we got married and I had my first two daughters like right away. And that, that was when I was here in New York City. That's where I grew up. That's where I'm now, even though I don't live here. I'm visiting family right now. And so um, we ended up, um, he, you know, he went into the IT field. We ended up moving to the Northern Virginia area in 2004. That's when I had my other two daughters. So by the time I was 30, I had all my four kids. And so, and I think that kind of helped that I had them so early on. 
um, in my life. And then I saw just throughout the years, him changing, getting into things that, you know, as Muslims were kind of like, mm, I don't know if that's okay. Um, and so, but still you try to work things out. You try to talk, have conversations, do whatever it is you can to try to make it work. But it just got worse at times as time went by. Um, what kind of, you know, ended things or, or led up to the ending of the marriage was um, at January of 2014, he um, abandoned me with my four kids, uh, emptied out the bank account. I had no ways, no way of, of paying my bills by myself because he was the primary breadwinner. And, you know, I just worked at the masjid and I know I have my degree in elementary education and English literature. So I was the vice principal, but, you know, that wasn't a means to actually pay the bills, right? It was like this, yeah. uh, part-time job that I did because I just did not want to stay home and I'm not a homebody. So I ended up, uh, he, he ended up leaving and I had to figure things out. And um, then two months later, he called, no, he emailed me. He was in Costa Rica, um, which it was a place we had gone two years before for our family vacation. And he emailed me and told me that he found Jesus on the beach of Costa Rica and he converted to Christianity, which I was like, okay, your life, you're right. But, like we're done even before this whole conversion thing. Because I think the last straw would be someone abandoning you with four kids and and no responsibility attached to it. So life pretty much went downhill from there for a little while in terms of just me having to sell my house, pulling my kids out of private school, trying to figure things out on my own and, um, you know, working full time and making sure that my kids, you know, needs are met. And then about that Thanksgiving, I came to New York City to visit my family because, you know, I'd moved my kids out of their room. Now they're in an apartment and like life just literally, literally turned upside down for them. And so we moved into an apartment and then I came to New York to visit that Thanksgiving. And my sister looked at my daughter, my youngest, as right when we walked through the door and she said, she's not right. Like there's something wrong with her. And so for me, I thought she was just stressed out because she had lost weight. She was drinking a lot of water, going to the bathroom a lot, eating a lot, but losing weight. I never associated it with any kind of illness because normally if someone's sick, they pass out or they faint or they go into a coma or something happens, right? These symptoms for me were, were alien. So I called up my friend who's a doctor and she said, I think you should go get her blood, blood work done. And so I took her into the emergency room here at, you know, it was formerly known as Booth Memorial. Now it's New York Hospital. And they took her um, blood sugar and the minute the, the thing beeped, the guy just grabbed her out of my arm and just rushed her in. And they just like, I read her up and they said, well, you oh know, her blood sugar is so high, we can't even read it. And turns out that she had type one diabetes and she had just turned six the month before. And for me, it was like, wait, what, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't even know how to adjust <laughs> to even understanding what type one diabetes is for a six year old. And so we spent, she and I spent Thanksgiving at um, New York Hospital in New York City. They transferred her because they had a pediatric endocrinology department. And I had to learn how to give her ins insulin with the needle. I had to learn how to prick her. I had to like learn everything in two days. And it was just so much for me. It was kind of like, oh, great. Now I have to go through this too. Um, but anyway, as a mom, you go through it and you learn and you um, put yourself through all of that. And, you know, I came back to my sister's house the same, the, that night. And then the next day we drove back to uh, Virginia with my four kids. And so that's life. That's what life has been like for her for, for the past six years. And so, you know, it, there's, there's always adjustments. There's always adjustments. And the fact that my kids don't see their father is another issue. 
um, he chooses not to see them. And so that's another battle that you have to kind of overcome in terms of telling your kids that it's not them, that they're not the issue, that they're fine. And then, you know, them being girls and not having a father figure in the house and not understanding what the male role model would be. So I try to expose them a lot to my brothers and other men that I know are, are good fathers and just good in general so that they see that there are good men out there. Yeah, I don't know if I answered all of those. When I hear these stories of single moms, honestly, it is a story of resilience and strength, really. Because, you know, when I had first gotten married, my husband did work at least 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And then I I did have to take care of the kids um, primarily alone a lot of the times. But the reality of the situation is I still had him to fall back on, right? So you always have that emotional support. So, you know, so when... Other one other like married friends would be like, oh, I feel like a single mom half the time. You know, I, I kind of took offense to that on some level because I'm like, it's not the same because at the end of the night when I have to complain or if my kid is sick, like he will step up even if he is working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So I definitely don't think you can equate the two things together. That's first and foremost. You, you just can't. Um, so, you know, I, first of all, I have to also point out when you said that your husband found Jesus on the on the beach of Costa Rica, like um, Uzma's jaw was on the floor. I just was like, can we take a screenshot of that? I thought that was hilarious because that is such an interesting concept. And and quite frankly, if he did find Jesus and it, it, it brings him peace um, to his soul on some level, that's great. But my understanding of Jesus's teachings is that you don't abandon your four kids and you take care of them, but I will leave my judgment on the side and let it go and not say that, even though I am being judgmental. But I'm just, I'm just being real and honest with you, but you know, um, first of all, I just want to commend you because I know that it's hard and to now, you know, be a role model for a a lot of other people in your situation. I I love that. And I love hearing your story. And I was hoping you were going to talk a little bit about this, but the one thing I wanted to, to ask you specifically is there are unfortunately a lot of single moms out there right now. So why do you feel your particular situation is unique, separate and apart from your husband converting to a different religion and literally choosing not to have anything to do with you or your girls? It's hard to say that it's unique or different or, you know, I have something that other people don't because somehow we're all intertwined with our struggles as as single moms and how we're put in a situation where we have to really do things on our own. I think for me, the the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is is management of my time and my energy and my emotions because I'm the mom and a dad and I have to figure out how that works. Then I have a full time job. I'm the you know the voice and face of the second largest masjid in the United States, and then I'm also the music director of the only masjid youth choir in the United States. And then I had I founded this podcast, and so there's you know all these other things that I'm a part of, and that's because I'm passionate about those things. And I think it's important for Muslim women in general to have a voice. And if I can speak on their behalf for a little bit, I think I can bring awareness to that. And that's what I'm trying to do is that we're not, we're not our, our divorce status. We're not our 
singleness, you know, and I hate when people use the word broken home. Like, I don't even know what that means um, as if it's like broken and then it's, it's, it needs to get fixed or someone has to come and, and do something about it. Um, that's not the issue. You know, we need to be resilient in our, 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 you know, way of, of life, right. We have to figure things out. We have to figure out how things are actually working and being there for one another. And I think for me, I love the fact that I can speak on my story for other women because it's really difficult for Muslim women to talk about their divorce, to talk about the struggles that they're going through. And for fear of many different reasons, um, for me, it's mainly because my, you know, my, my, my ex is not part of the picture and he's not here and he's not part of my community. So these things are always something that becomes problematic for other people but for me it's really not that big of a deal because I can talk about it and I and this and the discussion is that I've had this discussion with my kids even before that I will be talking about these things these things and they're very well aware of of what that means and and what the struggles of that life is so they support me in that and I think that's the best part of of what it is that I'm doing I love that, you know, because like you said, a lot of people are not able to talk about their divorces and in a lot of, you know, in inter communities or sub communities within the Muslim American community at large, there's still so much shame associated with divorce, which is ridiculous because I think um, I was listening to a podcast recently about divorce statistics and I looked them up. The divorce rate is actually lower in America. And so why is there such shame associated with it? Why do girls still have to hear, oh, if you don't marry within the Muslim community, then you're going to end up divorced like they're divorcing, like they the outside Mm non-Muslim community gets divorced more than we do, which is totally unequivocally untrue. So speaking to those statistics, I'm like, I love that you are somebody who is speaking about it and open about it and saying it is common. Um, I still think what's unique is your specific situation. And I've now lifted my jaw up off the floor and cleaned the slobber. I think that's really unique. Your life, you're right. That's amazing. So I really appreciate that you were able to deal with it and say that to him in the end. But did you have any inkling? Because maybe this is something that's going to happen because actually 23% of Muslim Americans are leaving the religion. I think that 23% are mostly the younger generation. So I wasn't expecting someone like in his late 40s to all of a sudden say, I found Jesus and I'm baptized. I have no sins. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, no, there actually weren't any signs of conversion. That that's that hit me like a truck just came. Um, uh, but, you know, like uh, he was getting involved in other things that I think, you know, we as Muslims who are a little bit more adherent to the rules would have been like, mm, I don't know about that. So, you know, I saw that happening. But this whole Jesus thing and converting was not even in the picture. You know, he had told me to send him his passport because he wanted to like go and find himself. So I was like, okay, like that's so convenient. I mean, I want to find myself too, but I, I'm here with four kids. So how is that going to happen? <laughs> I was like, Mark, I'm going to take care of them so I can go find myself. Um, but mm-hmm. what ended up happening, like, you know, after the conversion was that, you know, he became extremely hostile against Islam and saying a lot of bad things about our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and doing all these things. And then so I, I went to Imam Majid, who's my my boss, and he knew that what was going on. And he sat me down and he said, okay, he's he left Islam. So your nikah is nullified immediately. You're no longer married. He's not your husband. There's no relationship. So I knew that from before, but I needed to hear it from him. So I was like, okay, fine. And then he said, 
a couple of weeks later that, you know, if let's say he wants to come back to Islam and you want to reconcile and you want to get back together, you'll have to do another nikah. And I looked at him and I said, Allah took me out of the fire. You want me to throw myself back in? Hell no, we're done. Like, I'm good. Um, but there was no way I was going to let him walk away from his financial responsibility to the kids, which was a whole nother fiasco of events that happened. But, you know, I, I learned what my legal rights were and I did my own studying and I took him to court myself. And, you know, he's at a point right now, if he doesn't pay by the 21st, his license gets suspended and they're going to put an arrest warrant out. And that's what you have to do. So, you know, a lot of women think that you can't do these things by yourself. I have no legal background. Like I didn't go to law school. I don't, I don't, he actually did. Um, I don't know any of that. But I was like, there's no way that I'm going to let you walk out on the kids and then walk out of your financial responsibility. So, you know, I had to hire a private de detective, had to find out where he was, wow. certain paperwork. So I had to do all that filing myself. And so if I can do it, I think all other women can do it, too. I, I totally agree. And and like you said, in Islam, we have our own rights. And I, I, I that's the one thing I do want to dispel, because I think a lot of people um, that are outside of the faith don't understand how, how much rights we as women have within a marriage. But, you know, as being a role model to your four girls, like, you know, you, and, and they're a little bit older, and possibly, you know, maybe they'll find somebody and uh, you, what kind of advice would you give them, knowing the things that you know about marriage now, that either you would do differently, or you would do the same? Or how would you or how can we talk to our daughters, specifically about kind of, you know, letting yourself fall in love, but protecting yourself as well? Absolutely. And there's there's a fine line in that, right? I think our generation, we were never taught these things. It was just kind of like you meet someone, you like them, and then you get married. And then later you find out like, oh, my God, there's 15 red flags. What am I going to do about them? Really, you can't do anything at that point. Um, one thing I tell my daughters is is education is really key and it's, it's extremely important. Luckily, I had an education background where I was able to go back to work and I was able to, you know, make something for myself. And a lot of women who are single, who are you know, at home who don't have an education to fall back on, who don't have a career to fall back on, end up staying in abusive marriages because there's really nowhere else to go. And being alone outside with no no income coming in and, you, and you know, exes sometimes make it extremely difficult to even pay child support or, or give alimony. And who has the time and energy and effort and money to fight that? So women end up staying in an abusive relationship because of that. So I tell, I've told all my girls, you are not getting away with not going to college. I don't care what you study. You have to find something that you like that you're willing to work at for yourself. You have to have your own income. You have to have your own money. And that's not because, oh, you want to be this super duper independent woman who's going to call her shots and not have a companion because it doesn't work like that. You have to meet halfway with your significant other and telling them how you want to live your life and how you want to come together. So there has to be that common communication with your future husband in, in terms of how you're going to live your life. And so, you know, my older two are in college now. My, my eldest is in, in her third year. Um, my second one started now and she's going into nursing nursing inshallah and that's one thing i've always told on them that told them is that you have to be able to stand up on your own feet as women in this country and i'm trying to set that example for them that i'm a single mom of four kids and i'm doing all these other things by myself and raising them that it can be done you just have to be able to believe in yourself, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you, that God is always going to take care of you. And I can attest to that on so many different levels at so many times that God has always been there for me. You know, when you, when you think like, oh, wait, what's going to happen in this situation? 
you don't see a way out. And then he opens four doors. And I've seen it myself in my situation. I, I have a question. Like, it seems like you have it all together and you've done your job. But how has the community been in response to, you know, eventually the end of your marriage and, you know, the story behind your husband's conversion? Like what stupid things have they said or how have they reacted? (laughs) Okay. So I live in a really awesome community. I have to say that I have not had that many people say dumb things to me. And most people know me from my work at Adam Center and they know that I work with Imam Majid and they know that, you know, I represent Adams when it comes to outside organizations. I'm going and speaking on panels. I'm talking about Islam. So my single mother status actually has not hindered my work at all. If anything, it's it's actually helped. I've just had some of my friends really, one of my friends was so sad. I think she was going to cry like the whole, every time she would see me, she was like, look, she just looked like she was going to like, pass out from from being so in distress and kept saying i'm so sorry so sorry i'm like girl get yourself together like it's really not that bad <laughs> like, i was like i don't know why you're so sad like i'm here smiling and she's just like oh no you know i can't believe it i'm so sorry i'm like look my life my identity is not around my marriage status you know that's just a part of who i am one thing i tell my friends mm-hmm. who are married is um you know check up on your single mother friends because they will never come to you and say, I need mm-hmm. help. Because you don't want to be put in that situation. It's really demeaning for, for single mothers to say, I need help. But usually they do need help. And the help they need is not for you to pay their bills or anything like that. Although that is an issue. But a lot of them won't even ask for that. It's more about, hey, my kids mm-hmm. are, I'm taking my kids to the park. Is it okay if your two sons come? I can take them. That's great. Like you're relieving them of a few hours where their kids can go play with their friends without them having to go because they're worried about cooking or cleaning or work or whatever it is. Stuff like that. Checking up on them like, hey, you know, I went to this restaurant. I picked up some food for you. I'm going to drop it off. Like just small things like that. Really don't ask them what they need. Just do it. You know, if, if you're doing something for yourself and for your kids, do it for your single mom friends because they're they need that help, too. And they're never going to ask for it. I'm just going to ask you a little bit. Enough time has now passed between, you know, your divorce and you've been a single mom for a while. Have you thought about potentially, you know, opening the door for a possible other relationship or being open and receptive to something coming your way? I am open to it because I think companionship is so important for everyone, you know, and our Dean emphasizes that, right? Allah Taala made us into pairs. He didn't make us into living by yourself, especially if your marriage ended. And if we look during the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's time, you know, women would get divorced and then somebody else would marry them. There was no concept of, you know, being single for such a long time. Women were always taken care of because they understood that that was part of a societal function and a responsibility. Nowadays, it's not so much. Um, To be honest with you, from what I see in, in the context of getting remarried, it's it's a really funny thing that I've come across in terms of finding because, you know, as as someone who's trying to practice Islam as much as I can, even though I'm flawed in so many things, it's it's really funny because mm-hmm. majority of Muslim men who are practicing do not want single mothers. And then the men who are not so observant, they have they don't care. They don't care if you have kids, you know, like they might miss a prayer here or there or they might, you know 
not be observant, but they're like, oh, I don't care if you're a single mom as long as you're a good person, but these are my things, right? So like you're put in this thing of like, what is it that you want? And then you end up seeing most single moms also, or even women, Muslim women who have never gotten married, marrying outside of Islam, because within Islam, there's so many caveats and so many restrictions and so many hurdles you have to go through with you know, you want this type of man, but then he doesn't want you because you have kids. And then the one that you're like, oh, I don't know, because he doesn't pray all the time. He's like, I don't have a problem yeah, with you. But exactly. you're like, wait a minute, I don't want to raise you now either. <laughs> you know? So there's like this, this whole thing that you have to kind of be like, wait, this is like more difficult than it should be. <laughs> to be honest, I'm like, wish there was like a program you could just like type in what you want and ta-da you know like they come out but I obviously in the real world it doesn't work that way but I tell all my single mom friends like go out there you know you know find someone don't put yourself off just because society is telling you otherwise mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that and this is another stigma that we have to hurt you know jump over either like jump over also is this getting back into your life, finding a companion, finding someone you can grow old with, who, you know, whom you can love, who can love you, who can take care, you can take care of each other and who will respect your kids, you know? Like, I'm not expecting the guy to come and father my children. They already have a father. He just needs to be respectful and take care of me and be respectful to my kids. Um, but this is such a new thing for Muslim men my age um, that it's it's a lot of hurdles to go over or the men are like extremely young like they're young like seven eight years younger than me and i'm like yeah no like i'm done having kids so <laughs> it can work i've seen it work with the younger men so it's all right to be a cougar once in a while you know if like you said you know the religious guys don't want to marry mm -hmm. a single mom, right? And yeah. mm -hmm. what I find ironic about it is, you know how the men always want to fulfill the sunnah, but like fulfill the sunnah <laughs> of four wives. <laughs> Not sunnah of marrying a divorcee. <laughs> no, <laughs> subhanAllah. It's like, okay, dude. The ones with the kids, you know? And you know, like you get asked really ridiculous questions like, you know, does your ex pay child support? How much yeah. does he pay? And I'm like, that's none of your business. At that point, I'm like, ow, I'm like, sorry. Mm. This is such an inappropriate question. It has nothing to do with you. You know, so there, there is this constant, like you said, you know, things of, that we have to go through, right? Like you're talking about, um, you know, <laughs> finding someone and then not, not who want to follow, have someone who follows the sonar. They're trying to find someone who is, you know, at least practicing to their level or something like that. But then they end up saying, well, no, not so much Islamic that way. You know, God forbid, I don't want to, you know, do those things. I don't, I don't want a single mother. I don't want a mother, uh, a wife with kids or, you know, so it, it's, it's a lot of different things. So it, I think each situation is unique, but I'm pretty sure that all the single moms who are out there looking or who are open to getting remarried, this is a huge, huge issue. And I think we have to really look at how we're raising our sons and the impact that we're putting on them in terms yes. of what qualifies as a wife um, and, 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 and reassessing how we're raising them. Because, you know, we can see at least from some of the men that are around my age that they have been raised up with this issue of you don't marry a divorced single mom. You don't, right. you know, you need to find a girl who's has none of these, you know, baggages that they call the children, which I'm like, wow, how, how do you see that as bad? I'm like, I have four girls. It's like four keys to Jannah, you know, like, and they're almost mm -hmm. like all grown. Like, it's like a free ride. Yeah. Right? It's like a ready-made <laughs> package. And what I've experienced is when divorced moms get remarried, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the elders in the community, like our parents' generation, yeah. is like, whoa, well, look at that, you know, <laughs> like yeah. they're so yeah, shocked. Yeah. Like it's yeah. out, like their mind just exploded because they couldn't imagine that yeah. happening. Because in their generation, the generations before it probably didn't. Divorce does not define anybody. Um, it's yeah. not a failure on anybody's part. I think what's more commonly like when uh, a husband and wife divorce, the woman gets a lot of backlash. I think in that situation, you're very unique because nobody in the community could lift a finger against you because your husband, you know, defected against Islam or, you know, left Islam. But for the majority of women, mm-hmm. there's still that, you know, negative response to her, that social ostracization that happens and social isolation mm-hmm. that she undergoes because of what happened. But if like Zeba mm-hmm. and I, can change how we raise our sons to accept everybody regardless mm-hmm. of their history and to realize that our histories make us, you know, cause Absolutely. I feel like you, your ovaries tripled in size after your divorce and you became everything, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that's absolutely. the kind of women we want our sons to be with. We want them to be with strong women, not like the past generations mm-hmm. who'd be like, no, no, marry a girl who's uneducated and who doesn't know anything because then she will be submissive and subversive and we can control her. We can groom her. We can groom her to our family. And that's not your job. That was her parents. They already did their job. Let them send you an adult, not another daughter to raise. Yeah. I, I sometimes feel like it's more of a responsibility for moms right now with sons, specifically for that reason. We're trying to break the cycle of that type of expectation, if that makes sense. Because whether or not our parents were woke or whatever, or more progressive than the previous generation, there is that underlying misogynistic tendency that I just don't even think people realize is kind of ingrained in the culture, right? Whereas like my mom, I love her to death, but she had three three daughters and a son. It was kind of our job's to kind of help with my brother and clean and cook and do those types of quote unquote more feminine or female type of um, jobs or responsibilities. But I definitely know because of that, I'm trying to be more mindful um, and uh, having my son, you know, be more aware and, and more helpful. Granted, he almost broke my washing machine when he overstuffed it the other day. Um, and he does do the general clean out the once a week, you know, we're, we're, it's a, they're all a work in progress. But my, my concept is, you know, your sister is not going to be the one taking care of you. Your mom, I will take care of you to the extent that I can because you're one of four kids. And, and and that's just something I enjoy doing personally. But you have to know how to do certain things because at the end of the day, I, your wife is not going to be there to do that stuff for you. She is going to be your equal and your partner. She's not going to be an extension of me as your mother, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an important thing to... Um, like stop and think about like we don't really think about it when we're doing it right we're 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 just going on our daily ritual and and going here going there saying the saying that but we don't stop and and think about what we're saying and how that actually impacts our children's um, view on on who they are and how they're viewing relationships and and you know like even when someone gets a divorce in the family we, how we talk about them how we talk about the divorce that impacts their you know view on divorce as well and they 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 they're mm-hmm. constantly pushing it as a this negative stigma thing that that 
you know, follows that person till the end of time. Um, you know, you, it's funny how you, you, you said about, you know, grandma's becoming like, oh my God, so surprised someone, someone gets remarried. When my divorce happened, one of my family members actually came up to me and said, well, you know, now your life is all about raising your children. And I looked at her like, I'm only 35. Like, when did that, like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> like, you just signed my death warrant. You know, like, yeah. life is over. No, it's just about you raising these kids. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for raising my kids by myself. It was just handed to me that way. And, and then I realized how much culture impacts us and how much we let culture dictate our lives. And at that point, I was like, like no, I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to do what's right for me and my girls. I don't really care what anybody else says and you got to do it. And who knows, this is maybe your ticket to living your best life, right? <laughs> Cause it sounds like yeah, your life only got better after that. <laughs> it did. It did. Alhamdulillah. I think uh, for me, my divorce was like this, you know, like I said, I, I was in the fire. I got out and my man just like, do you want to go back in? I was like, no. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm doing things that I've wanted to do. I'm not a homebody per se to just stay home and, 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 and run a household only. I, I'm you know, involved in so many different projects at the same time because I'm passionate about those things. It is so encouraging to know that we can survive. Um, you know, this pandemic is nothing. You got this because you've been doing it already. And yeah. I think as an example to our other single moms out there, like you are one of our pinnacles. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And thanks for joining us today. And, you know, we can't wait to talk to you offline. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you guys. Had a great time. Assalamualaikum. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.